You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. Hi, everyone. My guest today is Julia Ogilvie. She is an actor, a teacher, and a comedian. We overlapped at Juilliard for a couple years, and I've always admired her energy and her drive as an artist. We recorded this at the end of October when I was taking a break from the podcast, and I'm so happy to share it with you now. I hope you enjoy episode 181 of The Compass. side as an artist that's like such an amazing question um well for me first what the dark side is it's funny you say the dark side it's very resonant for me because what I think of is literally a pitch black room where I've opened the door there's no light switch and there's no floor and for me, what makes me open that door into infinite blackness <laughs> is, um, is why questions, why questions that have no answer. And to me, no answer is darkness. So like, why does someone else have an opportunity I don't in the business, uh, which is comparison, right? Uh, why does someone like a director, a casting director, give me a red light versus a green light, right? Why? Why um, are there periods where I call it a phenomenon of omission, no opportunities, right? Mm. And then the most brutal why that also has no answer is why am I an asshole and worthless, right? (laughs) (laughs) None of those have answers. So what I do is, so that to me is the darkness, are those unanswerable questions. And so for me to get out of that dark room, I first am compassionate to myself and congratulate myself for the awareness I've opened the door to the black room and not uh, beat up on myself because our business is so difficult. Any civilian pedestrian would be like, dear God, how do you handle that? You know, so I'm compassionate to myself when I go to the dark side first and go, of course, it's okay. It's okay. Of course, it's hard, you know. And then I, um, I have steps. And the main thing to and it, to keep going with this metaphor, it's for me. Answers is light. Answers are and asking the right questions where I can get answers is mm-hmm. what closing that dark room 
walking down the hall and, and finding a room with a light switch, right? So for me, that is the question of what and how. Those have answers. So for me, what am I enthusiastic about today and how can I do it? Those have answers. So those two questions are a tool I use to get out of the dark side. I love that. I love that awareness about the why questions. What? I'm so... I love that awareness about the why questions, that those mm-hmm. are the ones so specifically that um, lead you down that path. When did you develop this thinking? When did you start having the awareness to think about it that way? It came, I think, through a lot of therapy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but also, um, I, I think through struggle in the business came awareness. So as the years would go and I would compare myself, because I've been out nine years now um, of school and college, and as the years would go, I would be struggling with the comparison and that would have me gain consciousness of it. I also, it took me time and the struggle of not, of long periods of not working or just not booking or what have you um, to just gain a consciousness of like, it's a source of pride now that I've struggled a lot and I've earned that pride and I've earned the strength I've gained through challenges. And those challenges gave me the awareness to not directly correlate my value to the ups and downs of the business because for so long I wasn't working. So I wouldn't equate my worth to it because that's a dangerous game, right? If you buy into that, if you're a series regular on a show, okay, your sense of self is through the roof, but then you're not working, then that's a tricky game, you know? So I really found a way to um, have a sense of joy and happiness divorced from show business. And through not working was gaining consciousness of the things we just talked about of like, oh, I'm really unhappy right now because I'm so in the depths of comparison where there's no answers. I want light. I don't want to be in this darkness. This is not how I want to spend my life. I think a lot of actors get stuck in comparison and they fall down. You know, there's just no floor and no answers. You know, and so I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm going a bit around the bend in answering your question, but I think through being in that dark room, and trying to answer those unanswerable questions, I gained the consciousness of them. And then my desire to find light got me, like I developed those tools over time. But for me, consciousness is all. And when things aren't working for you, you gain much more consciousness than when (laughs) they are working for you. I think that's so important because even it's just as dangerous if you get addicted to being on that high when you are working. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, finally, everything's everything's fixed. <laughs> but then right. you're off, you're gonna be not working again in two months or whatever. Totally, and it, and it feels so, the high of booking. I feel like feels so sexy for like a day, and then you're like, you know what I mean? And then there's so many other variables that come into play, or you know, you're you know, you could, and it's all relative. Like even Tom Hanks is like, why does Liam Neeson, Nielsen, well, Liam Neeson get to do all the cool action movies? Like even it's just at every echelon, you know what I mean? Right. And so, 
Yeah, it's like you could be in an off-Broadway or Broadway show and they'd be like, why did that person just book a movie? Like, it's just all relative, you know? So, Do you ever feel like you're just really frustrated that that is the way our business is, that it is so out of our control, that those why questions are unanswerable? Or have you just come to peace with it? Um, I, I marvel at how difficult the comparison is. Um, but I have a sense of humor about it and I have just accepted it as well. I'm also very, I feel very grateful that I'm not just an actor. And I, I don't like saying that, like, I'm not, you know, like, I'm not just an actor. Like, oh, please. You know <laughs> what I mean? Um, but I, I'm just, you know, expressing my experience that I feel grateful that I also have other artistic interests that aren't contingent upon someone giving me a green light. Yes. And that is so, yeah. definitely what I want to talk about because that is so compelling to me that you've found ways to make your own path in parallel with the auditioning and the casting directors and that part of the business. Can you tell me a little bit or tell our listeners a little bit about your other outlets so they have an idea? Sure, sure. So I am um, right out of school. I moved straight to LA, which was a shock, right? I'm a Hawaii girl spending her whole new adult life in New York City and then moving to LA. It's like, dear God. It was like I was in a small <laughs> island off the West Coast of America, a small island off the East Coast of America, and then like on the in the continental US. On the, it was a shock. Anyway. But suddenly, you know, after, you know, the college we went to, it's like, you know, we're training 14 hours a day and going to the floor with our passions all in black clothes, <laughs> rolling around, you know, being like, these are the forgeries of jealousy, you know? <laughs> and then we go in for a TV audition and the, the sides are like, um, no, he tried to kiss me, but I was busy. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and um, so suddenly in LA, I would have TV auditions during the day, but not feel artistically satiated. So I was like, how can I, and, and also I'd be, I'd marvel at like, okay, I do my work in the audition. And I'm proud of myself like as an artist but there's someone down the hall the producer director whoever that gives me the red light that says no right and so I was like how can I give myself the green light so I I decided I was like okay I'm I'm gonna become a musical duo I roped in my friend Nalini I said Nalini okay I I play the ukulele and um, don't worry, you don't play an instrument. Uh, how about we just go to Toys R Us, go to the kids, you know, and find like a toy drum set for you. And we'll just go on stage with a cooler and you'll bring out these instruments and we'll be a music duo. So she was like, I'm on board. So we just, <laughs> <laughs> so because, and, and so anyway, uh, we, so we created a musical duo called the Manifesto of Hiatus. And we had no idea what we were doing, and we wrote some songs, and we go to some open mic coffee houses in L.A. And there was one day where it all clicked for me. I had an audition, TV audition that day, and we went to a coffee house that night to try a new song. We had never been in front of an audience before, and it was crushing. The audience was laughing, and there was this moment I had on stage where I was like, oh, this is the green light. No one can stop me from doing my work and people receiving it in this moment. I give myself the green light. So I came up with a rule for myself. Whenever I have an audition, I have to go to an open mic that night mm. to even it out. It's like, I think of it as the business 
And I bring my artistic self to that, but I look at it as a job. And then that night I have to remind myself I'm an artist and give myself the green light. So that that's a rule I still have for myself. Um, and uh, But what was so exciting was uh, stand-up comics would see us at these open mics. They produced other shows around town. We started getting booked everywhere. And within four months, we were playing the comedy store on Sunset Boulevard to like 400 people. Oh my God. In the main room. And we had no idea what we were doing. She had a little <laughs> drum, like it was just a little toy drum, you know. And um, so I found the comedy community in LA uh, while trying to uh, adjust to the shock of A, being a professional actor, and B, television. And I wasn't booking. And as you know, just out of school, we're very lucky. They're like, oh, my God, you're a shiny penny <laughs> for like seven <laughs> months before the next Miss America graduates. You know what I mean? So, you know, I had real opportunities, but I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, you know, I, I just was just so green. Yeah. But at night, I was finding my artistic voice. I was learning this new form. And what was so exciting is all our like voice and speech um you know, technique, vocal dynamics, all of that at Juilliard, like it had my back in clubs. It was humbling how it had my back in ways I couldn't have anticipated in the sense of like how to land a joke, how to use Alexander to really get subliminally the audience to pay attention to you, how to ground yourself when you're nervous is all hell because you don't know if it's going to go well. Because with comedy, there's an immediate cal auditory calibration of success and no one can deny it, right? In the theater, I feel like, you know, in King Lear, the moment that, you know, Lear is holding, uh, you know, Cordelia being like, oh, right before he dies. <laughs> it's like, you know, people walk to the subway or to their car after going, oh, that moment was amazing. I was so moved. But you don't get it an immediate auditory calibration of if people are ascertaining it's of quality or not, right? Right. So... For me, the, the nerves, because it's all out in the open, no one can deny whether it's going well or not. You know what I mean? There's no debate. <laughs> There's no debate. Um, and uh, so I get super nervous. So Alexander technique would help. You know, voice and speech would help, even though I was relearning with the microphone, still understanding operatives. What's the key word? How do you get to the end of the thought? All those things would just changing vocal dynamics can make or break a joke. Sometimes it's not in the rewrite of the joke. It's the delivery mm -hmm. and the heightened consciousness of vocal dynamics because of our training. Just it, it was humbling that it was there for me in ways I, ju I just couldn't have anticipated. That's so amazing. And I, I mean, that rule for yourself is very impressive that you still hold yourself to that, that kind of practice of have an audition, going to find an opportunity to perform that day. That's pretty incredible. And I, I mean, amazing that like the comedy field really allows you that opportunity, like that there are those kinds of open night opportunities totally. with an audience all over the yeah. place. But it, it is interesting, like, so I started music comedy, and then when I, I, moved, I was in L.A. for a year, and I didn't fully feel artistically satiated. I was like, I love this comedy scene, but there's still more point of view and voice that I need to figure out and hone, and it's maybe not quite here. So I moved back to New York, and um, then I stumbled into spoken word, 
Um, because one night I, I had one of the biggest opportunity auditions I'd ever had where I got to producers, got to the studio and I had it that day and it didn't go very well. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, the rule is we got to go to an open mic. So I was just at the equity building. I w- didn't have time to go home, signed up for a mic I'd never heard before down in the East village. And I went straight there. I was still in my little audition outfit. I get there and I realized, oh, I don't have my ukulele. I, I can't sing a comedy song. So I was like, oh, and they were like, okay, next up, Julia. Ogilvy. I was like, what? <laughs> so I was like, oh, yeah, there's a spoken word poem I wrote in my first year at Juilliard that I had to do in poetry class. Maybe I'll do that. And so I went up and I did it to fulfill my quota of doing a show right. that night. And the next morning, the producer of the mic messaged me on Facebook and he's like, I want to feature you. I want you to do 30 minutes and a combo of spoken word and music comedy. And I said, oh no, I just do music comedy. I don't, I don't, you know. And he's like, no, I'm paying you and this is what I'm telling you to do. Oh my God. Yeah. So I joined with a friend. We went on a little writer's retreat to a, a little family friend or her aunt's house down in North Carolina. And I went for a week and I just wrote and just went for it and go, okay, I've just been hired to do spoken word. So at this place, the Parkside Lounge, I was able, I was given 30 minute spots and getting paid. It was incredible. And it was such a gift, especially in New York where stage time is so valuable and hard to come by. And so I got to develop my voice of like through spoken word, through music comedy and then sketch characters, you know, and stuff like that. And I would make and I would cure and Hawaiian songs and all that. And I would curate an evening where it would get really serious and then super comical and like finding that flow and um, and getting people to go to the dark side with me, but then bringing them back up with comedy. And what is that in a 30 minute set? And so coming back to New York was a gift too, you know, of just more space and room to, to experiment. That's so incredible. I mean, I feel like it's hard to go over that bridge of like, oh, I want to find, I want to make my own work. I'm not being satisfied by the auditions, but like getting over the bridge of actually putting it out in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it it felt very necessary for me, like literally for my circulatory health. You know, like I liken it to like so that had the immediacy of needing to write and perform. You know, of like because for me, it's like writing and performing my own work is like if if there's a swimming pool, and there's all these leaves stuck in the grid, so there's no circulation for the pool, and it's muddy and got leaves and it's just gnarly, right? It's like for me, writing and performing is clearing out those leaves so the pool can have circulation. That's what it's like for me. So it's, it's, and one therapist was like, you know, Julia, there's, if you never perform again, it won't affect your heart rate. And I was like, you don't understand. (laughs) This is my health. You know what I mean? It's so dramatic of me, but, but I do liken it to that. I just feel healthier and I feel better. And that immediacy to express myself in front of people, um, it really does help the circulatory system, I think. But anyway. And you've done some teaching as well since school, right? Mm-hmm. How did that come about? Do you enjoy do you, do you enjoy um, that kind of work? Be, I you know, I love teaching. I almost wish I, I only wanted to be a teacher because I think I could be a lot happier. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like, because being an actor is so difficult. Yeah. It's like, because I just love, I love it so much. I really do. I fell into it by um, 
my dad was um, a, a teacher, acting teacher, an actor. He would do, you know, anything that would come to Hawaii, you know, Lost, Hawaii, the original Hawaii Five O, the original Magnum P.I., the newer ones, Lost, everything, Jurassic Park 3, like whatever. <laughs> he would be in them. And mm-hmm. so he would coach and he would also coach Shakespeare and, you know, all this stuff. Um, would teach five-year-old all the way up to 70-year-olds, you know. It was really incredible. So he had a big reputation in Hawaii because it's a small community, so we all know each other very well. And one gal, this gal got cast as um, uh, Scott Kahn's daughter in Hawaii Five-0. She was only like eight and she was Taylor Grubbs. And she looked cute as a button, a beautiful little girl at the time, um, but just didn't really have acting experience. You know, it was just, you know, new. So my dad had coached her a bit and then uh, he wasn't able to. So then I took it on and started coaching her and and that's how I started teaching. And then it kind of went from there. Is that part of the way you like patchwork together day job stuff or is that more of an occasional thing? Um, no, totally. It is how I, I um, patch, uh, do the patchwork of survival. <laughs> <laughs> Can yeah. we talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind? What sure. sorts of things have you found useful to fill in the gaps when you're not earning money from acting? Sure. Well, it's been, you know, it's been a huge uh, struggle, as it is for all actors. It's nearly impossible, right? Because we have to be available during business hours at a moment's notice for auditions, yet can't work a job during business hours, or hopefully it's flexible. It's hard to do a night job because then we're pooped for the next day for audition. I mean, it's in the New York City, the most <laughs> expensive, awesome, but expensive place on earth. You know what I mean? So it's just, so I had a very difficult time. Um, I would temp, but like run to a commercial audition on my lunch break. Um, uh, of, you know, babysit. Um, but a lot of temping was the main thing. I worked as a personal assistant. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so those were the main ones. Um, I also, oh my goodness gracious, uh, call center, you know, po- political, you know, call center, which was epic. And then one that was very challenging was Manhattan Theater Club, their call center for fundraising. Oh, now, God. You want to talk about comparison. I literally, there would be classmates that would come for actual auditions while I was working for Peanuts in the call center. And I would be so ashamed. I'd hide. Or people, actors that had flown across the country to see me in a clown show off off Broadway at La Mama. And then we're in an actual Manhattan Theater Club show and I was like hiding because I was so embarrassed and ashamed. And now it's a source of strength. I'm not ashamed of it. Like, and I, and it was so painful at the time, but now I have a sense of humor about it, you know? And I mean, like, here's a great anecdote of like talking about like day jobs and then comparison. Like I, um, one day I, you know, I, it was the height of struggle for me. Like I was on Medicaid. I even had food stamp. Like it was bad. Mm-hmm. And I was walking through Times Square being like, okay, I think my paycheck's coming in today. So I'll be able to survive. Da-da-da. And, you know, and, and as I'm thinking this, a bus goes by with a classmate's face on it. <laughs> I have been there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And when that happens, you just have to laugh. 
Yeah. You have to have a sense of humor because what else yeah. is there to do, right? Oh, my God. And um, so, yeah, the day job's very painful. And, you know, it's challenging when, like, some classmates just come from money, you know? They just do. Yeah. And, and there's others that inherent there, things are easier for people in that position because the, the, the stress of the survival jobs just isn't there, especially totally. especially it felt that way for me, like coming out of school when you're, you're just struggling to even get any sort of savings or anything under your belt. A hundred percent. Totally. Um, and but now uh, in, I'm in Hawaii at the moment and um, I'm mainly uh, teaching and there's things shooting here. So I've had a little you know, tidbit here and there, which is really helpful. And then, um, but I was really grateful. I finally started working a little bit in voiceovers Mm. and those are great, uh, (laughs) money wise, you know, they're hard to get great for you. What? That would be great for you. I can imagine. Yeah. It's sexy. You don't have to put any makeup on, you just go in your (laughs) sweats, do your thing. And you know, it's, it's all good. It is Ryan here. And I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Did you go back to Hawaii because of the pandemic or had you already decided to move back? Um, yeah, it it's pretty trippy, actually, what happened. Um, I was doing a co-production between uh, Theater for New Audience and the Shakespeare Theater. I was doing Time in of Athens and um, we did it at Tifana. And then uh, we went down to D.C. And a week before we were going to close, the mayor said, OK, no more gatherings above 600. Um, you know, and so with the size of the theater, we, or 500, we couldn't do the show. So we closed a week early. That day it closed was the day my mom arrived from Hawaii to see the show. So she didn't get to see it. So suddenly we're in DC with nothing to do. They let me stay out my contract in terms of the apartment. So we had a lovely place to stay, but nothing to do. Right. So (laughs) we're like, um, and then we looked at flights and we're like, oh my gosh, do I dare go home for two weeks? You know, because we all didn't know how long this would last. It was all so new. We couldn't have, couldn't have known it would completely change our lives. It just, there's just no way. And so I thought, okay, I'll get a one way ticket. And feel it out and go back in, to New York in a couple weeks. And I haven't been back since. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I left my apartment February 17th, 2020 at 4 a.m. for a train down to see D.C. And I never have been back. Is your did, did someone move your stuff out of your apartment or is it still sitting there? I have a dear friend, Natalie. <laughs> dear, dear friend. I tried to pay her. She wouldn't let me. Um, yeah. So... I'm very lucky. So it's in storage and I've moved to Hawaii (laughs) (laughs) and it's changed my life. I'm engaged now and Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, so happy here and it's, uh, my life completely changed, but I, I feel so grateful. You know, it's, it's crazy. Are you and your fiance planning to stay? Well, what's great is that my fiance is a television editor, so he works remotely, so he can go anywhere. And um, so we're probably going to go to L.A. next year. Um, I'm going to finish out a teaching contract at the University of Hawaii, teaching TV and film acting um, through next May, and then we're going to regroup. Nice. 
How has it been to be living where you grew up? Do you feel like the change of location affected your state of mind or your creativity? Yeah, it it was. And here's where I feel bad. Like the pandemic uh, cracked open so much of my creativity because for the first time in my life, I didn't have to pay rent. Right. That's huge. It was shocking. And suddenly I had time and I didn't realize for me, I was always drowning financially in New York because of rent. It just, because for me being in New York, and I can only speak from my experience, was being on a hamster wheel, on a treadmill, in a trench, right? It's just, you know, it's partly what makes the city one of the best cities in the world. There's so much to do and it's incredible, but also survival if you don't have a trust fund. (laughs) I mean, it's like it's hard. Um, So that was removed for the first time in my adult life. So I ran with it. I was like, this is my shot to grow and I don't have this obstacle at the moment. So I I started working with uh, Rick Chrome in, in New York City, working remotely, learning stand up. I um I wrote and finished uh, um, a short film that's now in festivals, and like I pushed myself. I was like, "There's going to be no other shot for me. This chapter of my life is special. I've got to take this opportunity." Um, and and I did. And so I feel bad saying that though because it's been horrible for the world, you know, and. So I feel bad, but it's been um, a blessing, which I feel bad about. (laughs) (laughs) I understand all of those feelings. I mean, it's been such an insane time. But there are, you know, good and bad things in everyone's individual lives during a two-year period of time, obviously. Yeah. Do Have you had any mentors in your artistic life that have been really helpful to you along the way or influential? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Maggie Flanagan um, was the first one. She, uh, the Maggie Flanagan studio, I went there for about two and a half years before I went to Juilliard and um, it's a Meisner training program. Um, But I I joined that um, school when I was uh, 18. So I was a sponge (laughs) and I knew nothing and I just got to New York City. I was like, oh, Um, but she I mean, she uh, worked directly with Meisner and met him. And then Bill Esper was the next in that lineage of of master teacher. And then she was the next. And Bill and Maggie went their separate ways. And Maggie opened her own studio and Bill Esper opened their own studio. But they're like like the best, you know, they're incredible in terms of the direct lineage of Meisner. And um, just to have her as my teacher for two and a half years really changed my life and um, was really incredible. And um, and right now, actually, uh, Rick Crom is like an incredible mentor. He's been doing he's such a unique combination of an actor. He writes musicals and he's been doing stand up comedy for over 35 years. Wow. So he gets like when I'm working on a new joke and I'm working with him, you know, and he's coaching me and I'm learning, he understands vocal dynamics. You know, I could be like, oh, maybe it's just hitting this word and we'll try it. We're like, ah, there it is. You know what I mean? Like he speaks the same language. He also did music comedy for years, you know, and, and would host legendary shows at the Comedy Cellar for years, like before I was born. I don't know if you'd like me to say that. <laughs> but, you know, so right now he's my most influential mentor that I'm just so grateful for. Are there any lessons you've learned, artistic or personal lessons you've learned over the last two or three years that you're really proud of? I think trusting and following 
your enthusiasm. I think that's the biggest thing I've learned that is important and how to do it. Um, because I'm very ambitious, but sometimes it, it uh, is an obstacle to, because I, I am enthusiastic artistically about things that won't get me anything in the business, right? So <laughs> I've learned to like honor my ambition and go, great, yes, I would love someday to have the certain jobs, right? But I also am going to trust and follow where my enthusiasm takes me artistically, whether it'll book me anything or not. And ironically, following your enthusiasm and maintaining your enthusiasm greater than the obstacles of the business is what facilitates perseverance. And so I learned like, great, I'm going to pay attention. If I want to go on the path of spoken word and somebody wants to pay me to do it, I'm going to do that, even though it's not going to get me a series regular role on a television show. <laughs> and, you know, music comedy, I did sketch comedy. I was on a house team um, at Upright Citizens Brigade Theater for a year when I got back to New York. And and that's actually the first time an artistic interest uh, like intersected with the business. Um where the business really values UCB and artistically I was really engaged with, Oh, sketch comedy. How do you do that? You know? And we were playing to sold out houses once a month, like club, the club in Chelsea at the time. And, um, but that was an example of like, I wasn't working, but I was following my enthusiasm and that facilitated, uh, continuing and not giving up. So that's the biggest thing I've learned is like just listening to the enthusiasm. That's such a good one. Um, I mean, it sounds like you're a fan of like continuing to invest in classes and in training and to facilitate following your enthusiasm. Has that been important to you? Yeah, I I don't think of myself as brave. I think I'm a very scared person. <laughs> but in another way, I uh, I always love learning new areas I know nothing about. So even though um, I you know, music, com well, music comedy was a new frontier I'd never tried, then sketch comedy I'd never tried, and now stand-up I'd never tried, you know, so I keep trying these new things, um, and uh, I I don't know, I, I just, I, I do love learning, and I love, I do love taking classes, um, yeah, to just expand and grow modes of expression. Yeah, I, ad I admire that, and I feel like it's something I have to get back to, because I think sometimes I can just be so worried about money that I don't want to spend the money on taking another class or like right after school I was so obsessed with like well I just spent all that money paying for Juilliard <laughs> I can't spend any more money on classes 100%. Um, I totally get it obviously it helps refill your tank yeah and no, open open new modes of expression mm -hmm. How, is your mom artistic as well she uh, taught creative drama to children. Um, she just retired. Um, and, uh, yeah, she's got a creative vibe. Um, my dad, a little bit more, um, it was like an, an artist in the sense of, like, needing to direct and perform and teach to get that artistic satiation. You know, I think with artists, I think we're a bit of, we're odd ducks, you know? It's like we need a satiation that's not, ooh, let's go to the movies, Right. You know, it's, it's, we, how do we get, take the edge off and have the circulation happening, you know, by expressing ourselves through performance or what have you. My dad definitely was, was, had that uh, quality and I really identified and was close with him because of it. 
How did they feel about you deciding to pursue this for your career? I was lucky. They're very supportive. Um, and I mean, I, I grew up on stage manager's laps because my dad and my mom were always in shows and um, or my dad was directing something. So I was in rehearsal rooms since I was five and I started um, doing voiceovers in third grade. Um, and uh, yeah, I just said aloha oy, oy, on our message machine and some <laughs> agent had called and like went, oh, there's a kid. Let's put her in commercials. So I started doing voiceovers in third grade, you know, so it started very young and um, yeah, they've always just been very supportive. Is there anything that you were really looking forward to talking about that I didn't ask you about so far? Well, not not necessarily. I just think it is so incredible that you're exploring the darkness because, I mean, yes, as actors, we love to complain. But in another sense, we don't like to address the darkness. You know, I, I don't think we address it enough in certain ways. I, I think we're good at being like, why did that person get that? And, and uh, why don't I have that audition? You know what I mean? And that's totally fair. But the deeper thing of like, okay, wait, why am I an asshole and not good at this? And like all those things, like it's not explored enough. And I just, I just think it's so incredible that you want to explore how we find light. Thank you. I, I mean, I'm, I've done a, a lot of these interviews and I still haven't like necessarily solved a problem for myself. Um, and obviously we all end up going to the dark side at some point. But dealing with it, the, the way as artists that it's such a constant cycle, finding a way to deal with it. I'm really obsessed with that idea of like, how can we do this in a healthy way for a long time? Absolutely. You know, because there's a lot of ways to do it unhealth, unhealthfully, damage yourself. I've done some of those, yeah. but there's got to be a way. Yeah. And the first step is consciousness of when we go to the dark side and your podcast is destigmatizing that darkness and gaining, like raising consciousness about it, um, which I think is so helpful and healing for artists. And I think it's also so great because how do we want to spend our life, right? If it's so relative of comparison, you know, like, I don't know. Again, the example of like Tom Hanks is like, well, why don't I get to be Tom Cruise? You know what I mean? Or like, why do I only have two Oscars and that dude has three? You know what I mean? So if there's going to be comparison and chagrin at every level, I don't, that's not how I want to spend my life. And it's not how you or, you know, who wants no. to spend their life doing that, that, you know? And so I just, I just think it's so cool to consciously be like, great, then how do I want to spend my life? Well, if that's not going to change, how can I change my relationship to that reality? Yeah, and I I hope that it is helpful to people in that way because I know I just found, you know, five years out of school or so that I, I just was like, I have to talk about this. I was tired of the, you know, all of the networking events where people were like, how are you? What's going on? You're like, oh, you know, just auditioning. Everything's great. And it's like, actually, I'm really mad. <laughs> I love it. You I'm so it's... frustrated. And I, yes. I, I reached a point where I had to talk about it because I, I just bullshitting about it wasn't working anymore. It was just making me more miserable. <laughs> totally. I used to be like so scared to be truthful and I would kind yeah. of just like puff up and try to put on a good show. Um, but now what's hilarious, a couple of things. One thing is that 
I, I got to a point where I was honest. I just smile and go, I'm not working right now and I'm struggling. Yeah. <laughs> and people don't know how to deal with the Yeah, truth. what was the reaction? <laughs> They're like, because uh, they ex- expect you to uh, take part in the peeing contest. Yeah. Oh, I'm doing this. And, and there are some are people who would judge you for that. But then there's a lot of people who are like, oh, that's how I feel too. And I was also just putting on this fake <laughs> smile. <laughs> Because yeah, I didn't want yeah. it to get back to a casting director that things are not always easy for me, you know? Right. It's right. very it's bizarre. So, it's so funny. Um, and it's also interesting that, like, in no other profession would somebody be like, what have you done? What are you doing? You know what mm. I mean? Like, we, I, and also, like, because as, like, civilian pedestrians work all week and then they brag about what they've done on the weekend. And us as freelancers, we brag about when we're working, Right. Oh, <laughs> and so it's funny. hard. It's 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 so hard. Yeah, the peeing contest is real, you know, and I just chose to disengage in that um, because it's exhausting. <laughs> Do you think it's easier now that you're so physically distanced? From a lot of That's your peers in LA question. or New York? Like do you think distancing yourself physically has helped? I think so. I, I hadn't thought of that, but I, I do think so. Because for me, there's an, a recalibration happening in my head about what's important to me. And that is throwing me for a loop, but it's also beautiful in the sense that like for me, now that I've been removed from New York, I'm like, okay, there's also my personal life. There's also taking days off. There's, I'm a workaholic and very ambitious. And so I don't know how to take a break. And I'm in Hawaii and it's a, so I force myself to walk to the ocean. Yeah. My fiance lives two blocks away from Waikiki, from Waikiki beach. And it's, it doesn't, I'd rather be, I'm literally in the water. Like it's time to relax. It's beautiful here. But I think of a new joke and I'm like, I gotta go home. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, yes, you swim and you like water. it. There's this paradise. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think you're right. And and like being there for my mom, she's just retired and, you know, getting older in years and just being there for her, building a life with my fiance, like just having a real personal and family life and enjoying friends. And it's a bit new for me because the hustle, again, it's like the hamster wheel on a treadmill in a trench, you know, also amazing. You know, th- there's a positive side to that of like growing exponentially because you're with the best artists, you know, all in it together. We're working hard and hustling. That's beautiful. I'm just starting to value other things as well in a new way. Yeah. What has your experience been like, um, when you do get a chance to work on productions that come to the island or things like that, do you find that a lot of the productions that come to Hawaii to shoot are, I don't know what the best, I'm not sure exactly what I'm asking, are respectful, are interested, are treating the environment well, treating the people, the local hires there well? I've had positive experiences. I did um, for Disney Plus just a, a couple of scenes for an episode of the new Doogie, Doogie Howser reboot, Doogie Kame Aloha MD. And um, it was a long day of shooting. And it was just so amazing because it was all local crew. And that felt really, you know, I felt very at home. And they're just awesome. You know, they're so good at their job and like everything's so on point. But like it's like a chill, respectful vibe. Like, it was really cool. And then on Magnum PI, I shot a scene and, um, and I recognized a lot of the crew people from Doogie. And, uh, and so that just felt really cool. Like we're just working, you know, and, um, 
Yeah, and I felt like the productions were respectful. Like, there's a Hawaiian blessing you do when you begin shooting, you know, and, and so, like, Doogie, I know they did that before they'd start the season and stuff like that. So, yeah, I feel like these productions are respectful for sure. There's just two short questions that I usually ask right at the end. Um, the first one is if you do feel like you're in that place where you're going in the dark room with no light switch or you're feeling even just feeling uninspired or stuck, are there any concrete things that you reach for again and again that can kind of help you get out of it? Like books that you reread or music you listen to or places you go? For me, it's go? comedy. For me, it's mm. stand-up. Just to watch an artist on stage expressing themselves and making me laugh like I love the craft of that so much that's an example of my enthusiasm and listening to it to as a concrete step to get me up and out of something um, and then I also don't isolate I, I make sure I reach out to somebody that's a tool those are two very concrete things I'll turn on a comedy special like Jim Gaffigan or something very easy listening you know but brilliant and then um, and or I, I choose to reach out and I just make sure I don't isolate and then the last question is, is there anything any, anything of any art form that you've consumed recently that you would like to recommend? Like a oh, book, wow. a TV show, anything? That's an amazing question. Um, what have I seen lately? Honestly, I just did a gig last night, so I haven't been taking in. I've just been like drilling of like, mm. you know, um, let me try to like, what have I seen lately? Oh my gosh, nothing comes to mind. I'm like a not impressed. <laughs> like this is bad. How about a comedy special? One of your faves? You know, I have to say, um, it's a tie between Wanda Sykes special called Not Normal, and then Michelle Wolf special. I was it. It's her latest one on Netflix. I think it's called Joke Show or something like that. Those two are tied for me. Just incredible. Okay, so good. Funny. I'll have to check them out. I'm not. I'm a little behind in my comedy education, so I will <laughs> I will take those up. Well, Julia, thank you so much. I really appreciate you doing this. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been so nice. Thank you for listening to The Compass Podcast. If you find these conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of The Compass, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thecompasspodcast. Pledges start at as little as $1 a month, and anything you can give would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you have a moment, please review and follow in iTunes. Every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller, music by Brendan Spieth, audio assistance from Monik Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.